Today's passage is Acts 15:36 through 16:5. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the, to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning again, guys. Uh, my name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria, which is one of the things you'll hear me say every time I get up here to preach. The other thing is that I want to get to know you. And if you're new, as John said, we're meeting here temporarily. We're going to go back to Centennial, maybe even before the end of July. We'll see how the, the production of the air conditioning stuff goes down. But um, after service, I'm going to be standing right over here to my right, your left. And if I don't know you, if you can come up and say hi, I'd appreciate it, honestly. It'd be nice to, to make sure that if we're going to do this whole church thing together, we, we know each other well. Um, before I jump into the text immediately, I want to throw some, um, over the next three weeks, uh, what the kind of the preaching calendar will look like. If you don't know, part of my job, my area, is to um, oversee the, the preaching and delegation of, of all that as the teaching pastor here. And um, for the next three weeks following this, we're going to stay in the book of Acts. Um, but one of the things I try to do every summer is make sure that you guys at least hear from the elders. And so um, next week, uh, the, the 9th of July, you're going to hear from John Demeter. He's going to go through um, uh, Acts 16. And then from there, uh, you're going to hear from Vincent Clark. So you've heard John Demeter before, um, but you've never heard from Vincent Clark, who was another elder here before. So the second week, you're going to hear from Vincent Clark. And then after that, you're going to hear from a guy named Charles Jones. He comes up here and does the benediction sometimes. His goal would be in voca- uh, to be in vocational ministry someday. And we feel like a big responsibility that we have at Redemption uh, Peoria is to, to give guys opportunities to be able to move them into situations where they su- can succeed in that. And so Charles is one of those guys. He leads the Jones community. And so he's going to preach on the, the 23rd. I'm not going anywhere. Breathe. Everything's good. You know what I'm saying? Um, okay. Uh, this is just a, a really awesome opportunity. That the way that the dates lined up, the way that they did, John will be preaching next week to kick it off. Vincent will be the climax. He'll do the best. And then, and then um, after that, it'll be, be Charles. So we'll see. Um, Vincent likes pressure, so we'll see um, how that all, all rolls out. Okay, we're in Acts 15. If you don't know, uh, we've been going through the book of Acts for a while now, since the, the beginning of the year, and we've been tracking what God's doing. This is, uh, this is an account of God moving after Jesus leaves uh, the earth, ascends, uh, uh, ascends into heaven, and leaves his Holy Spirit. We've been tracking what's going on with all of that. Eventually, we ran into a guy named uh, Paul, and we've been following Paul and Barnabas, and we'll continue to fall, follow Paul and Barnabas through the rest of the book of Acts. Now, as we're going to read our text today, uh, there's two things I need to say about it. The first thing is, this text is kind of goofy. Um, it feels like 
this in-between section of scriptures that we don't even really know what to do with. Meaning, um, if I was to tell you, hey, so on Wednesday, Candace and I plan to go to the store together. You're like, cool, okay. Yeah, we're going to go to the store together. Check this out. We're going to go to the store together. And then, you know what? I'm going to decide not to. I'm going to stay here. But Candace is going to go on her own. She's going to go to the store. And when she gets there, okay, she's going to get a cart. And then she's going to walk into the store. End of story, right? Okay, and you're going to, and then when I tell the story that way, you're going, why did you tell me that story? Like, then what? And this is what we have. We have this account of Paul and Barnabas. They're going to split ways. And we're going to see a glimpse of what Paul needs to do to be effective in how he needs to do the ministry. And then we're left with that. And it feels kind of goofy. And so, um, though we are going to go through it verse by verse and section by section, we're going to do it a little bit different this morning. Um, and that is our bread and butter. If you are new, we're always about that. This morning, it's going to be a little bit different. And in that, I want to use my language carefully here. We're going to extract kind of this overview of what happens in this story to answer a question that I'm asked all the time. Probably top three top questions that I'm, I'm asked all the time. And, and that is, what's my calling? Like, what, what am I supposed to do, right? As, as Christians, and this is, that's to, the calling language is totally Christian language, but this comes up all the time. I, I mean, honestly, of like, how do I know what I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to go in this area? Um, and I want to answer that question. And my fear in that is the second thing I wanted to bring up in this passage is, I don't want to springboard uh, preach, meaning I don't want to take a passage and I already have something I want to talk about and make it fit in there. Um, because this passage, it deals with Paul and Barnabas arguing. We could talk about dissension within the church, but I think as we go an overview, what we can, we can do is we can see a question that we have, or at least I'm given a lot, and go, man, there's something in this. There's something that we can, we can answer in regards to how we operate in our calling. So um, just know that's the direction we're going. It's not going to be the atypical way that we preach. If you're, if you're new and if you've been coming, you'll notice that right away, okay? So before we get to the passage, here's what I, I, where I want to start with this whole thing. A couple things that I struggle with. One is I struggle with the whole there's a one out there for you, like in the romantic area of your life. Like there's this like nebulous Oompa Loompa unicorn that you're going to find out there somewhere and no one is ever going to be like them. And when, if that person marries, the reason I struggle with this now, this is Sean, just Sean on a soapbox for a second. Um, what if your one marries someone else? Okay. Then that one doesn't have a one either. Okay. So now two people are totally done for because they don't get their ones. Right. And so there's all this. So, so I, I'm a firm believer and this isn't like redemption canon. And it's not something you're going to find on the website. This is just Sean speaking from his heart for a moment. Um, uh, the, your one is the one you're married to. So when you marry that person, that person becomes your one. And if that person dies or, or something happens, whatever, and, and, and you marry someone after your spouse dies, now that person is your one. Congratulations. Okay. Now the other thing that I struggle, I set that up because the other thing I struggle with is this idea that there is this niche specific, something that God has like almost um, like made you do, like there's this thing that you have to do. He's given you this task and, and he's not only planned your ways, but he's directed your steps and you don't have any, and you just, this is it. And I have to now, I believe God has a call very specifically for us as a congregation. And even as you as, as individuals and me as an individual, I believe that's true, but I don't think it's as simple as going, God kind of going down the line, laying tile. He's going to work on roofs. He's going to be in ministry. Like that's not, I I don't think it's that easy. And I want to look at the text and I want us to see how that's the case. Now for me to kind of ease your hearts, to understand that I do believe God has called us all to be a part of something that God is doing. Let me take you back about two and a half years. And when we started Redemption Peoria, 
whenever you plant a church that, that you, you want to get a bunch of people together and you have what is called a, a launch service, right? And we had our launch service uh, in February. Well, before we did our launch service, before it was a public service, we did something called a pre-launch. We just got the people that were already kind of part of our core group. There's maybe 60 of us, 80 of us. We got together and we had this pre-launch service. And my goal that morning, I remember, is man, I want to set a trajectory as to why we, as a core group, are planting this church. And something I said over and over and over again, and I would ask you if you remember what it was, but first service didn't remember it was, and I don't want to be embarrassed again. So what, what I said over and over again at the time is we are planting a church for mission. We believe that we're not the answer, but we are a church. There are lots of good churches out there and we're in the area to reach people that those other churches maybe aren't reaching or whoever God has called us to reach. We are planting a church for mission. And I used a quote from John Stott. It's from the Lausanne Covenant, which is a phenomenal uh, uh, a thing you can look up. Matter of fact, I asked uh, Miles to post something. You'll either see it on Facebook or whatever social media outlet he, he wants to post it on. That you can see this article written by Christianity Today on the Lausanne Covenant. And, and the premise of that is the Stott quote, which is, if you can throw that Stott quote uh, up there, is that ultimately the whole church is to bring the whole gospel to the whole world. Okay. Now those three statements, those three, three complete statements matter as we go into our text and they matter to us as a church because this statement by Stott is what's behind our all of life philosophy. Okay. And so what I want to do is just take a minute and explain why that quote, well, okay, where did you there, but why that, that quote matters. So let's start since you could just leave it up there. No, don't try to go back now. You already messed it up. Okay, Steve. Okay. Um, so, so let's start with this. When we say the whole church, what do we mean? We mean every one of us, okay? Um, now, that sounds like duh and kind of cliche, but hear me when I say this. We believe whether you are a single mom, a working mom, a stay-at-home mom, God has called you to mission. Whether you lay tile, you work construction, you sit in front of a computer screen, God has called you for mission. And listen, we have no plans as of now to do some big outreach. You and me, we are the outreach. Wherever we go, the church is there. And so when we first make this statement, the whole church, we believe that all of us are on mission. Now, we said the whole church brings the whole gospel to the whole world. Let me explain what first the whole world means. When we say the whole world, we mean it is in a place that not all of us are. So here, do the math real quick. We are together very little, very, very little in comparison to how much we are apart. Meaning, I and you are going to go to places and reach places that I and you on the opposite end will not be in. So, uh, to put it another way, it, let's say you're a stay-at-home mom, right? And you continue to wipe your one-year-old's butt over and over and over again. Check this out. Listen, listen. Um, you may feel like, what's the point or whatever it is. But listen, when, when that kid's six seven, eight, nine, ten years old, they're not coming to me. They're not coming to me. You know who they're going to go to? The one who over and over every day. Like they were there when they had nightmares. They wiped their butt. They don't even remember it. When they were hungry, they went to them. They're going to you. And so in this way, the whole church is, is to go to this whole world. And this whole world is bigger than... Um, well, let, let's go to the, the whole gospel because I think it'll explain it. You can just put the whole thing up. Um, this is a statement in understanding the whole gospel. Um, my best attempt, it's not redemption official or anything like that. It's just my best attempt to explain this whole church, whole world, whole gospel philosophy. Um, so we believe that all of us are on mission in a place that not all of us are. So everything we just explained. So your coworkers, I won't know. 
I'm not going to know them. You know them. I don't know them. I know people you don't know, and it goes vice versa for everyone in this room. So we are all on mission, okay, that all of us are on mission in a place that not all of us are, hear this, to share a gospel that is for all of those places. And this is where we have to to settle in for a second, because when we say the gospel is for the whole world, this gospel idea of asking what is the gospel, I say this and something I've said over and over again, but I want to say it gently and pastorally as as possibly as I can right now. We believe that the gospel saves the souls of men. Yes and amen. The gospel saves the souls of men. Jesus' good news to the world is that men can be reconciled back to them. But hear me when I say this. That is only a part of the gospel. That the gospel saving people's souls doesn't end there. So um, let me throw out some verses because I I think this will be helpful. When we say the whole gospel and how it is applied into all the places that you work, listen to some of these things. I think I have all three of them on the screen for you. Colossians 121, it says, through the blood of his cross, talking about Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things. Listen to Ephesians 114, to unite all things to himself, things in heaven and things on earth. So whether this is you laying tile whether this is you verbally proclaiming to someone, all these things, Christ is doing something more than just you passing out tracts or or more you just walking through someone through the sinner's prayer. It's bigger than that. The the, the things that you do on the day in, day out matter. And to prove it to you, listen to this last one, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. In Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. This world in, uh, unfortunately, cosmos is the Greek word. We only translate it to world, but it means more than just a material thing. If I was to actually translate it, this is how I'd write out the translation of it. It means the world, but it means the universe, worldly affairs, the inhabitants of that world. As a matter of fact, Stephen Mott wrote in his book, um, uh, social ethics or biblical ethics and social change. It's a book I had to read for my master's program and I'm rereading it this summer because it's so insane. And the, the, the point and the premise of the book is trying to understand the depths of what's going on, how sin is affected and ultimately how Christ is, is doing something in the very fibers of all that's going on. And listen to how he defines the word cosmos, this idea of cosmos that in second Corinthians five nineteen, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. When you hear that, what do you think? What is the world? Listen to what he says. It's unfortunate that cosmos has been translated in the English Bible as world, which primarily refers to a physical place. The Greek term cosmos, however, essentially means order, that which is assembled together. Cosmos represents the twisted value that threatened genuine human life. Now hear this. The basic fiber of society is comprehended in the New Testament use of cosmos. The basic fiber. So, so hear me. Christ is not just saving your soul. He is reconciling the basic fibers of society. You understand? So the, the, the difference here is um, to understand my job as a pastor, putting all the, the kind of caveats there that receiving a stricter judgment and, and greater honor. I'm going to stand before Jesus one day on the judgment day, and I'm going to stand before him. And what he's not going to say to me is what he's going to say to Philip, who, who lays tile, who goes to our congregation. So Phil is going to stand before God. And this is crazy because it's almost as if God in this moment, him reconciling all things back to him goes, and do you remember when you were at that house? And you were laying that tile and you worked so hard to make sure it was straight. 
And like, I get it. Like the, the world is broken and it's because of sin. Sometimes those, cro- those tiles are crooked, which I realize in first service, okay, because of sin, right? So, so it's because of sin, but, but you in all that I've gifted you to do, worked hard to make the world look like the way it's supposed to be. And, and yet all you saw was you laying tile. But every fabric of society, all that there is to understand, when you wipe the child's butt, man, when you lay down the tile, when you're cleaning at the restaurant, when you're sitting in front of a computer screen, we believe, you can put that quote back up if you can, please, Steve, at our core, not that one, sorry, the, um, the one that, oh, the whole gospel whole, no, not that one either, Steve. Okay. We believe that all of us are on mission in a place that not all of us are to share a gospel that is for those places. So the gospel we hold to is not just so you can go to work and save the guy that you work next to, but to do a good job there as well. That is for a moment reconciling, be a part of being a part of what Christ is doing and reconciling the world back to himself, the whole church, whole gospel, whole world. Now this matters, okay? Because the question is, where am I supposed to be to do this? Right? This, 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 this is the struggle. And so I want to read the first part of our passage. And again, I don't want to just remove something out of context. I want to ask a question, extract a question based on our passage here. And it's the, the account of Paul and Barnabas splitting. So let's read it together. This is what it says. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Okay? So, Initially, we got no pushback. Paul's like, hey, let's go. Let's see how these other churches that we visited are. Let's stop there. Barnabas isn't giving any pushback, but he says this. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark, verse 38. But Paul thought it best not to take the one, or not to take with him the one who had withdrew, withdrawn from them in Pephilia and had gone and had not gone with them to the, to the work, verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement, the same language in early part of verse 15, or chapter 15, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul called, uh, chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, verse 41, and he went through, this, through Syria and Cilicia, uh, strengthening the churches. So what we find is, um, if you were here last week, they were given this letter to say, hey, we think you're ultimately sent by God. And so Paul and Barnabas want to go and take this letter to prove that the Jerusalem council believes um, that they are truly sent by God. And, and Paul is worried. So he wants to go and see all these places because he knows that there's people twisting their mind, changing the way their, their views of the gospel. And so um, Paul and Barnabas decide we agree what we want to do, but here's we don't agree in how we should do it. And, and, and Paul doesn't want to take John Mark, which is uh, Barnabas's cousin. And Barnabas does want to take John Mark. Now, here's what we, what's interesting about this whole play out. From this moment on, we're going to continue to follow Paul. We're not going to follow Barnabas. But nowhere in the scripture does it say that this is a disagreement. It doesn't say, it doesn't look at this and go, see, Paul was right. That's why we're following Paul, but we didn't follow Barnabas. As a matter of fact, what's crazy in church history is from this moment, we know historically that Barnabas goes to North Africa. And if you know anything about your church history, North Africa ends up becoming the hub for Christianity for like 500 years in Alexandria. It's where all the major players come out of. So though we don't follow Barnabas, it seems by God's plan and his will, he is sent to do this thing, and Paul is sent to do this thing. So the question I want to ask is, where are we sent? Where are you sent? As we zoom out of this text, how do I know? How do I know what I'm supposed to do? And so I want to answer it. 
in my best to, to use this text, I think there's three ways um, that can lay out when you're asking the question, God, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What is my calling? Or how does this, this whole thing play out? And hear me, let, it's, it's a lofty task to answer that question, but let's be straight real quick. I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you're called to be a mechanic. You're called to be a nurse. I don't think the Bible does that. I think you need to zoom out and, and understand it differently. And here's the first way that, that I would explain this. I think Paul and Barnabas have a big picture theology. They, they understand that they are part of something that is bigger than them. So let's start brass tacks, man. If you want to talk about what you're supposed to do, let's talk about why you're doing it. Like, is, it, is, is you wanting to be a nurse or a firefighter, someone who lays tile or lays bricks, is it about you? Is it about what you can gain or is it bigger than you. And the monks, man, they got this. The monastic period in our church history, they got this, that there's something bigger than they are. History would tell us that uh, there were certain accounts within uh, the monastic movement who are people who are monks, that if there were a thousand monks in a region, their goal was to build paradise in the desert. So they'll literally go, if you know any major monasteries, they start in a desert and they were meant to uh, uh, grow paradise there. And if renegades came in and killed 999 of them, it was said that the one monk who survived would get up the next day And he would start over. He knew, they called it work beyond themselves. He knew that they were part of something bigger than themselves. It wasn't ultimately about them. To to prove it to you, listen, I got a ton of text for you guys this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the growth. Verse 18, he, uh, verse 8, sorry, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Do you hear that? Do you, do you hear that? Each will receive. God has given you the ability to do what you're doing, to be a part of something bigger, but each will be held accountable. You, you track with me? So, so it wasn't you who, like, in your mother's womb, decided to like understand code. That wasn't you. I know JavaScript. That wasn't you. That wasn't something that you put in front of yourself. No, 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 no. Hear me. There are tons of people, yours truly, who don't understand those things, but you do. Why? That, that's not something you like. And, and you can look at this on physical levels. There are things that physically you can do that other people can't do. The big question on the table is, or at least what, what Paul's pointing out here, it's not even a question. It's a statement of you're going to stand before God. You're going to stand before God for the gifts that were given you, the, the plan that he laid out before you, but he's not done, okay? He goes on to say this, uh, to them to the work, uh, sorry, uh, to, to his, each according to his labor, verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers, or the NIV says we are co-workers in God's service. I love that. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. And he goes on to explain the detriments of laying laying on top of that wrong foundation and and all the um, good things of doing it right. But my point is this. Paul is saying in this moment, because the the people in the Corinthian church are arguing, well, Barnabas or Apollos or Paul, he's the one who discipled me. He's the one who baptized me. And Paul's going, you don't get it. This isn't our story. This is God's story. We're a part of something more. 
And so, man, flat line, again, brass tacks, let's start there. Before we get into what am I supposed to do, do you understand whatever it is isn't about you? Do you understand it's a part of something bigger that God is doing? The second thing that I think um, correlates with this really well is to understand as you walk into that office or you walk onto that job site, that the Holy Spirit was there far before you were. So like you're not bringing the Holy Spirit with you. The Holy Spirit was already there doing a work. So the, the thing that I always um, get at when someone asks me, man, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What, how do I know what my calling is or whatever it is? I ask this question, what do you want to do? And it's almost like, like, well, you know, I, I only want to do what God wants me to do. It's like, that's great, Mr. Holy. But what I'm asking is like, like what, what desires do you have? Because those things matter. And the reason they matter is, check this out. It's God who wills within you as a Christian. Do you understand that? It's God who wills within you, and it's God who acts within you. Maybe you don't believe me, so let's, let's do more Bible. I'm all about that. Philippians 2.13, listen to this. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So we're not robots, but, but crazy, like God... He, if you're asking like, why do I want to do the things that I want to do? Why do I have a desire to do these things? It's God given. Now, now this is where it's tricky because this can immediately become, well, humanistic philosophy, right? I mean, this can be something that you go like, yeah, you just want to do what you want to do. But there's a difference. One being, if we look at the cross and we look at Christ, he is driven by the joy, according to Hebrews 12, that is set before him to endure that cross. Meaning, God has a call on him. He has a desire, a joy to do something that even in the moment of Gethsemane, he doesn't want to do. He, he asks his father, his father to take this cup from him. So the best example I can give is, man, I absolutely believe that Candace has called, um, bo- or God has called both Candace and I to parenting. Okay? So we believe God has called us to parent, to foster parents, have biological children. But hear me, there are moments... I don't want to parent. There are moments where you want to roll up into a corner and, and just cry. There are moments where you go, I don't want to deal with this right now. But the greater call of God that he's willing within me, he's doing something. I have a desire. So when I say you just have this desire for something, man, it's not just this abstract, well, I just want to be a, a, a basketball player, right? I've shared this with you before. Growing up, I want to be in the NBA. And I get calls all the time to be a part of the league. But I, but I reject them. Because here's the deal. I believe what I'm doing, I'm called to do. And I would, if truly I was asked to be in the NBA, um, if I was, I honestly would say, that's not what I want to do. Though I think it would be fun and I would enjoy doing it. I believe by this crazy, I don't know how, I sound so charismatic, willing of God within me, I'm called to do this. And hear me, it's okay to lean into that. It's okay to lean into that. Let me prove it to you because we're not done. Second Thessalonians 1.11. Listen to this. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. So Daniel Bacon, you can leave that. Oh, well, we're gonna have to put the other quote up in a second. But a guy named Daniel Bacon um, from Wheaton College comments on First Thessalonians 11. Listen to what he says, and, and I don't know if Steve will have to jostle back and forth, but listen to what he says. What's interesting here, talking about First or Second Thessalonians 1.11, here is to see the initiative seemingly come from us who undertake a purpose or act. Okay, The initiative comes from us. Then after taking that first step in faith, 
we see God working in power to fulfill that act or purpose through us. I hope you're tracking there. Here then is the mystery of partnership with God. What has happened is that God worked in us at first to, to will and do according to his good purpose. In responding, we in turn take an ownership of that burden and it becomes our purpose as well as God's. And thus we see this reciprocal dynamic taking place. So look at your Bibles again. Look at verse 37. What's it say? They, they both want to spread the gospel, but listen to this very carefully. Verse 37, Barnabas wanted. Look at verse 38. Paul thought it best. So, so, so what Bacon's getting at and, and ultimately is there is this idea that I'm coming onto the scene of something God is already doing. And he has a desire to do something. And now I have that desire to do that very thing. And his burden and his purpose becomes my burden and my purpose. And listen, this can be from washing a car from nine to five or operating on the surgery table, whatever it is. And, and, and it's unfortunate that in the last 50 years in the Western world, vocation has been the, the gleaming hope of our identity. It's a, because before this, before like millennia before this, people work to survive, but we have all of these options and we spend all this time working or driving towards what we want to do instead of sitting in the moment, understand that God is already doing something, inviting us into it. And that's a big difference. So this first idea that you're part of something bigger than yourself, when if you're going to ask, what am I supposed to do? Do you already believe that God is doing something and you're part of something bigger than yourself? And the second thing is he's given you desires He's given you wills. He's given you goals and dreams. And those are all great. I sound like a motivational speaker. Okay. Those are all, all those things are great. As long as they're pocketed and understanding one essential thing in all of this, because at the core, if we were to stop for a moment and remove the scriptures and remove God, this is like philosophical humanism. This is, um, I don't think you're going to find it anywhere else that someone, or I think you'll find it everywhere else that someone would go, man, you're just a part of something really big. I mean, we hear that it's not a Christian. It's not unique to Christianity. Or more appropriately, just do what you want. Do what you desire, right? And the question is always, well, I mean, who's going to take out the trash, right? And, and we get into all these, these uh, discussions. But there's a difference. There's, there's a big difference in understanding this, this third component. As you're a Christian, what are you supposed to do? And it's in the words, so that. I love so that's in Scripture. I love them. Sometimes it's just a so, sometimes it's a that, sometimes it's therefore, sometimes it's because. But my favorite so that's are, are found in 1 Peter. I want to read it to you. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, listen to what he says. I don't even know if I have it on the screen, um, so you might just have to listen. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Do you hear that? God has put you here, according to Acts 17, which Vinch is going to you know, kill when he preaches it. But, but according to Acts 17, verses 26 through 28, that he, I love this, in his sovereignty, set the boundaries of the, de- the dwelling in the pre-appointed times so that they would grope for him, reach for him, hopes that they would find him, for he's not far off from each one of us. So you are set here. You have been chosen not to end on you, but with responsibility. There's a responsibility. Hear, hear what he says. You've been chosen a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as soldiers and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that, so continue to live out this gospel thing, continue to follow Jesus well, so that when they speak against you as an evildoer, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So the, the, the purpose, when you ask, when, when I ask, when any of us ask, God, God what, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do this? Um, the first premise is to understand we're a part of something God is already doing, and he is moving to, to, to move me in a certain area. But what's awesome about this is not something I'm making up. What we find in the beginning of Acts 16 is, is exactly this in the life of Paul. So from this point on, we're just going to follow Paul. But listen to what Paul does. Okay, L- listen to this. This is crazy. So Paul came also, this is verse 1 of chapter 16. Paul also uh, came also to Derby and Lestrea. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So we know of Timothy. You've heard of First and Second Timothy. This is Paul writing to this Timothy. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lestrea and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observances the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem, so that the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So we have this ongoing story, which we'll pick up again. John will pick up again next week. But did you catch what just happened? So Paul meets this guy, Timothy, already has Silas. He meets this guy, Timothy. He's this young kid. He's like, hey, listen, your, your mom is Jewish. Your dad's Greek. I want to go preach in this area that has lots of Jews. So I'm going to have you be circumcised. <laughs> now, if you've been following the book of Acts, you're going, wait, what? Because up to this point, it's been like Paul. Matter of fact, if you read Galatians uh, chapter two, I believe verses three through five, it's the story of, of Titus and how He cares so much about Titus not being circumcised. He says it's a matter of the the truthfulness of the gospel. And yet he takes Timothy and has him circumcised. So here's um, a guy named John Newton in 1799 says that Paul is a a reed with non-essentials. And he's a pillar with essentials. Meaning that there are things that Paul knows he should do and will do that are non-essential issues but he's not moving on the essential things. And, and, and the difference here with Titus is Titus is born non-Jewish, but, but Timothy is raised Jewish with, with a Jewish mother. So he is born by blood Jewish. And Paul and Timothy are about to go preach to Jews. Now Paul knows, and I almost guarantee you Timothy knows, circumcision is not what is going to save Timothy. But if I'm going to go talk to the Jews, I don't want this to be a hindrance. It's not what saves you but I don't want it to be a hindrance. Piper actually says it like this, and I think he says it really well. Timothy's circumcision is not motivated by Christian pressure from within, but a missionary strategy from without. So, so Paul is intentionally going, hey, I know we need to do this, which is easy for Paul to say because it's Timothy being circumcised, okay? But, but, but we see this in Paul's writing constantly. L- listen, again, uh, quoting Corinthians. This is in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win more of them. Verse 20. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To, or in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. 
To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Listen to verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessing. So, so you have this big, big, God, what am I supposed to do? Whatever it is, hear me. It's for the purposes of rubbing elbows with, becoming all things for the growth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the growing of his kingdom, and that his name would be made big. Let me give you an example of this. Six months before we moved to the house that we're in right now, um, my next door neighbor, the neighbor across the street from me, um, invited me to come over to, to watch the Pacquiao Mayweather fight. I don't know if you guys remember all this, but he invites, uh, invited me to come over. Now, I don't follow boxing. I don't follow MMA, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just not something that, that I track. Um, and so he asked me to come over. He's like, hey, dude, just come over and have some beers, and let's watch the fight. So, and as I made clear last week, drinking is totally sin, and I, I knew I wasn't going to partake in that. And so I, I knew... Um, I knew I wanted to like get in there. And so, right. So, so what I did was Brandon Emberlin, who's a a friend of mine who goes to this church. Um, I knew he drank. And so I'm like, Hey, Brandon, come with me so you can drink the beers for us. Okay. So we're kind of seeing, and I'm Googling everything that I can know about. And I know the basics of boxing and MMA or whatever, but, but, but I'm, I'm Googling everything that's been going on with him, Pacquiao and Mayweather, because I want to enter into that. And I want to be able to have a legitimate conversation. I don't feel like it's being fake. It's me trying to become all things to this guy. Right. And so as we grew, the, grew with this relationship, right. And he, and I said, I didn't drink, but he was cool. Cause my buddy drank. So eventually like as time went on, right. As time continued to go on, I got to share the gospel with him. And I, and I think in a lot of ways, this is exactly what's happening. Paul is going, Hey, listen, this circumcision thing, it's not worth it not for me anyway. I mean, you got to deal with it. So I need you to be circumcised. And so now we can go and we can become all things. If, if this thing matters to the Jews and we know it's not a salvation issue, and that's what we're going to continue to preach, and that's what the New Testament through Paul over and over preaches, then be circumcised. And so, so this is for the purposes of mission. So what, what am I saying here? Um, being a part of God's plan, something that he is doing, and you having desires, they mean nothing, absolutely nothing, if at your core you don't care what you do. You just care who you do it for. If you don't have a desire to do all these things for Jesus Christ, washing a car or being a doctor, it doesn't matter, bro. It doesn't. And you can wrestle all day long with what you're supposed to do, but wherever you land, it's always going to be in the wrong place. You're going to feel this, this lack of contentment, this, this I, I don't feel fulfilled because at the core, you weren't made just to do that job. And this is what makes the gospel so awesome. This is why the whole world can experience the whole gospel, the very fibers of society, and you being a stay-at-home mom, feeling like, what am I doing day in and day out? To know, to know that I am doing it for the glory of Jesus Christ is the game changer. That is what matters. And, and, and it's through these, these uh, paradigms that I want to read something to, to close our time from Leslie Newbegin. Um, and Leslie Newbegin, he, he wrote a book called Amid the Rubble. And it's a book on this idea, th- this very idea that we're talking about. H- how do I know that what I'm doing, whatever I do, what am I, what am I called to do? And I'm here, hear me when I say this. I say this softly. I don't mean it absolutely. It doesn't matter. 
Stop worrying about what you're going to do and focus on who you're doing it for and whatever you end up doing. Promise, as you are led to do what, you, what God desires you to do, you're going to find the fulfillment you're looking for. And he talks about how wiping a baby's butt matters. He talks about you starting a taco shop matters. How you running at the station, saving a cat from a tree. I know, cliche, I apologize. Or working on a car or making sure that you do a really good job in, in setting down tile or making sure that you decorate a house well, making sure that you raise children well. All these things that you might forget in this book, Amid the Rubble, Leslie Newbegin talks about how they have eternal consequences from the minute details of the fiber of society, the very fabric in the which way everything operates. You have something that you are part of that is truly going to be everlasting. That's what the premise of this book is. And so this is what he says, if you can uh, uh, listen, because I think it's beautiful. Every faithful act of service, every honest labor to make the world a better place, which seem to have been for, forever lost and forgotten in the rubble of history. So just stop real quick. He says, everything that you've done, even things that you forgot about. Like, man, I forgot. You're going to stand before Jesus and be like, you did this for me. Like, oh yeah, I forgot I did that. Okay. Everything that's gone that you feel like has been forgotten and is pointless will be seen on that day, he's talking about the final resurrection, to have contributed to the perfect fellowship of God's kingdom. All who committed their work in faithfulness to God will be by him raised up to share in the new age. Here it is, listen. And will find their labor was not lost, but that it found its place in the completed kingdom. And I get it. You do not want to stay up late and fill those bottles up. You don't want to stay up late and make their lunch for the next day. You don't want to put in the hours. It would be easier to cut corners. No one's going to know. But hear me. If you are co-laborers with God, if he's, if he's called you according to 2 Corinthians 5 to be a minister of reconciliation, then these things that, that everyone else doesn't feel is important, that's what drives you. These things matter and they won't be forgotten. I don't know how they last eternally. I don't know what the new earth looks like, but I'm telling you, it all matters. It will not be forgotten. And I quote, as he says, the labor was not lost, but that it is found in its place in the completed kingdom. So when the question comes up, what am I supposed to do with my life? Man, work through those premises. I think this text shows us that Paul goes one way, Barnabas goes another way, and Paul's willing to do for the sake of mission that I'm part of something bigger. God has given me desires to work in all these things. And then ultimately, it's so that I can be a part of what God is doing in expanding his kingdom. Let's not forget that. Let's continue to hold fast to that. Let me pray for you guys. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for who you are. First off, um, I pray, um, even with fear, that I, in this moment, did not springboard into an area that I want, but um, as we went through this text together, that we're doing our best to understand that you've, you've sent Barnabas on the path that you've given him, and you've sent Paul on the path that uh, you've given him. And um, I pray that whatever path you've given us, whatever desires you've given us to lay out the things that we're going to do and the gift sets that we have and the abilities that we have, um, I pray that we would know at our core they don't end on us, that we would have a heart and a desire to be a part of what you're doing and that we wouldn't get lost in 
money. We wouldn't get lost in popularity. We wouldn't get lost in comfort. We wouldn't get lost in prestige. But we would continue to focus on the fact that you're doing something. And you've asked us to be a part of it. So for the one in this room that's, um, man, the cliche of working in a fast food restaurant, all the way to the one who makes six figures, um, I pray that what would drive us is not the money, it's not the accolades, but it's the fact that you've put us in that position for a reason, and that reason is to bring glory to your name. Please, Holy Spirit, haunt us with that. Haunt us with that. Remind the moms who feel like their work is in vain, that they have true value in your kingdom. Remind the man who continues to sit in front of that computer and feel like his work is in vain, that he has true value in your kingdom. Remind all of us over and over and over again that our works done in faith will not be lost in the rubble. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you for letting us be a part of what you're doing. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.